Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Craig Conover. Dr. Conover is the CEO, head doctor, the head dude at ConoverWellness.com. And I think that you'll agree by the end of this podcast, probably not even, well, probably won't even take you till the end. You will agree that this is the guy you want on your team if you're looking to optimize your health or even solve a health issue. Dr. Conover is an expert in NAD therapy. He's an expert in peptide therapy. He's developed this whole vitamin IV, fast IV strategy. He's got all these amazing formulas that will combine NAD with different peptides, nutritional IVs, like you name it. And honestly, the conversation was just fabulous. He's a great guy. And like I said at the beginning, he's the doctor you want on your side. So I'm going to encourage you to listen to this one. It's a little over an hour. Hopefully we will have gotten rid of the noises in the background. There was a construction crew that showed up outside my window, like close to the end of the podcast. So hopefully we will have mitigated that noise for you. Thank you so much for being here. As always, please make sure that you remember that all of the information in this podcast is for information purposes only. If you want to take advantage of any of these therapies, or you think that this is something you want to try, then either speak to your wellness or health practitioner, or get in contact with Dr. Conover himself. And to do that, you would go to conoverwellness.com. And Conover is K-O-N-I-V-E-R wellness.com. The address will be in the show notes as always. So if you're looking to get in touch with me, you can find me through my website, natnidham.com. You can find me on Facebook in the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group, or you could search Biohacking Superhuman Performance Group. You can usually find it both ways. And whatever you do, when you go to my website, please make sure that you sign up for my newsletter, which I have finally launched. And it's only twice a month, so I'm not going to overwhelm your inbox. But we'll talk about podcasts that we've recorded. We'll talk about some of the most commonly asked questions in the Facebook group. If I have any amazing deals or amazing products that I've discovered, I will be sharing with him with you there. I will also be talking to you about my upcoming women's retreat. This podcast will be airing at the beginning of January, the women's retreat, a longevity and resilience retreat. I'm co-hosting in the Dominican Republic in beautiful Cabarete at the end of March. My co-host is Dasha Maximov from Wealth Co. She is amazing. And we've got so many incredible things that I, we will be sharing with you before, during, and after this retreat. So if you want more information on the retreat, there's going to be, a, there's a page on my website that'll link you to the main website. So all you have to remember is natnidham.com. Thank you so much for being here. Happy New Year and enjoy the episode. Hey folks, a quick interruption to the episode to thank our sponsor, Drink HLW, who make rejuvenation tablets, which deliver 10 parts per million in 500 milliliters of water of hydrogen to your cells. That's the highest concentration of hydrogen of any other brand. I personally choose this product because this company invests in research. As a matter of fact, to date, they've invested in over 13 human clinical trials with more coming. So what are the benefits of hydrogen? 
enhanced alertness, reduction in liver fat, improved aerobic fitness, improved muscle recovery. There was even a study on metabolic health that revealed that drink HRW tablets improved 18 of 20 metabolic markers. I personally use it first thing in the morning, and I will often use it at three o'clock in the afternoon as a little pick-me-up. So if you want to give this stuff a try, just go to drinkhrw.com forward slash superhuman, use discount code longevity to save 15% on your purchase. And now let's get back to the episode. Good morning, Dr. Craig Conover. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah, no, I think this is going to be a great conversation. So I think we were actually, well, I was introduced to you. Shockingly, I must have been living under a rock, but I was introduced to you through someone that I know that you work with uh, quite a lot, Katrine whose last name I don't pronounce properly, so I don't say it much, Um, because she said to me, dude, if you have any questions about NAD and the synergies between NAD and peptides and all the things, this is the guy you need to speak to. You need to speak to Dr. Conover because he is the guy. So I'm so excited that I've got the guy here to talk to us. (laughs) That's funny hearing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's funny. Well, you know, what's interesting is I think that between peptides and NAD, we have two compounds. Well, peptides as a group of compounds and NAD as a compound that so many people have so many questions about. Like I was, I was telling you, you know, running a large Facebook health optimization community, I would say that those are two topics, well, for sure the peptides, but absolutely the NAD, there's so many questions because I think there's so many different applications and it's so central to our foundational health and the function of our cells and Mm -hmm. our energy system. Really, it's, you know, you almost, and I'm looking forward to talking with you about this, like you almost can't get the most out of peptides until you've optimized the NAD machinery, as it Mm were. Yeah. I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. I mean, I think NAD is foundational. That's how I think about it. So, yeah. so it kind of is the bottom layer in many respects in terms of working to increase how your NAD is utilized to give you energy, to allow you to do the things you want to do. Yeah. No, amazing. Okay, cool. So, but before we get into the nitty gritty on the NAD and yeah. the peptides, I wanted to talk about you and how you got here, because I, you know, I was reading your bio a few minutes, a little while ago and I'm like, oh, he started off studying archaeology and something else and before med school. And I always find that so interesting about people because especially anybody in the medical profession, because you're coming to medicine very often in a much more intentional way. And you're also bringing a different type of perspective to the world. So do you want to maybe talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, so I I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. I say that my my dad's a doctor. My grandfather was a a physician. So it's kind of it's what I grew up with for sure. And, and so much so that, um, you know, when I applied to college, I said, uh, I want to do this the best way possible. So I applied to Johns Hopkins because, you know, at the time this was like, it still is. I mean, it's still kind of the center of a lot of, you know, medical stuff. And I got in, I went to Baltimore, went to Johns Hopkins and I absolutely hated it. And it was, it was, it was so negative and so competitive and, it was just a really kind of pivotal point in my life because it, it was the first time where it was a big challenge. And I felt like I was getting my path steered for me, mm-hmm. which was, it was hard. So I decided to leave and I transferred to Brown University up in Rhode Island. 
And it was just a, it was an amazing, you know, positive environment there. And I've always been, been interested in ancient history. Like since I can remember, since I could read, I was reading books about ancient, the ancient world, ancient Israel, ancient Rome, Greece, whatever. It's always been a part of things I've been interested in. And so knowing that, okay, I'm going to spend my career in medicine. It just was a knowing I'm going to figure out how to get to medical school and do that. I said, I want to enjoy you know, kind of the college experience and learn and, you know, widen what I can learn and be a part of. So I became an archaeology major. Good for you. Spent a summer in Israel in archaeological dig and, and did that. And I'm still fascinated by ancient history. It's still part of my life. I read about it all the time. Um, but I, but yeah, I mean, I love it. And so I think, you know, if you look at most doctors, to your point, they're biology majors or science majors. And kind of not that there's a problem with that. No, but um, but when I, you know, I just kind of try to think outside the box a bit. That's kind of how I set up my practice years and years ago. And I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy it so much is because I get to do things a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love I love that. That's that, that's actually so interesting. When I was studying uh, physiology in university, all my electives were ancient Greek history, ancient Roman oh, really? history. <laughs> well, yeah. because it was kind of like a break, right? It was like story time. And, sure. and it gives you a different view, to your point, it gives you a different view and a different perspective of the world. And and we, you know, it 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 shapes your brain in a different way, maybe, and allows you to expand a little bit outside of this world of quantifying and quantifiable stuff and whatnot. So anyway, I I always find that super interesting. So mm-hmm. you graduated med school. Mm-hmm. And then what, like, did you go first into a traditional practice? How did, how did you get so, to where you are today? Yeah. So I, I did a family medicine residency and family medicine. I chose that just because the relationships, right. Yeah. I like family medicine. Cause it's, there's, you know, it's from birth to death. We take care of, you know, the whole population. It's very broad. And, and really for me, what I enjoyed most about it, even to this day is building and working on relationships with my patients because mm-hmm. well beyond just the science, you know, incorporates the sociology, the psychology, all of that. Um, and, and what I've learned over time, I mean, my practice has taken lots of different turns, but ultimately what I enjoy most is helping to empower people to make choices in their life, right? Because that's when it sticks and the tools we'll talk about, whether it be NAD or peptides or whatnot, they're just tools to help kind of wake people up to the notion that they can be empowered, Right. And that's where I find value and being able to have that level of conversation with people is very meaningful, well beyond just take your five to seven pharmaceutical medicines and try to eat a better diet, which doesn't have much meaning at all. No, no. Not to mention the fact that a better diet is so subjective these days. (laughs) I mean, it's always been subjective, right? But But it's so generic how, you know, most And, you know, most, I mean, we don't get taught anything about this in medical school. So Mm -hmm. everything is self-taught and it's kind of the, how you want to, you know, show up to your patients or your practice, but, but nutrition, just as an example, I mean, there's no talk about it, right? Like even you talk to oncologists, they would say that, you know, nutrition and cancer doesn't matter, which is crazy. It doesn't make any sense, but you know, if your lens of the world is that you can make progress just by giving people more and more drugs, then that's all you're going to get. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I do. It's funny you bring up oncologists because I've I've had a few friends, unfortunately, who've been on those journeys. And 
you know, being handed a can of boost after your treatment right. um, is like, you know, or I once, you know, presented someone with a study that talked about how there's been studies that have been done that show that fasting for 24 hours before a chemo treatment in many cases can be helpful because, you know, it helps the chemo to be more effective. It, it the body actually instinct, you know, has mechanisms which may protect the healthy cells and leaves the cancer cells a little more open to the yeah. chemo. And they've come back to me and said that their doctors have said, absolutely not. You're going to lose weight. And I'm like, it's 24 hours. <laughs> You're just not. Well, but even, yeah, no, but I mean, even that is like going beyond that, like fasting in the state of cancer is a really good thing. Like, and I just, you know, and I, it, you know, a lot of people don't want to go there and talk about these things. Cause you know, if you're, if we're talking about things that are outside the confines of, you know, conventional medicine, then you have to be careful. But in general, though, as people look at different, you know, sticking with the cancer theme, like why my view is why not have all the options on the table? Yeah. Like why not look at everything broadly yeah. and then, you know, figure out the best plan as opposed to it's only chemotherapy, surgery and radiation. Yeah. Like there's way more people can do. It may not be, but why not at least look at it? Well, and I like what you just said. It may not be because, you know, keto diet may be good for some cancers, may be bad for other cancers. Fasting used indiscriminately. Of course, if a person is, you know, wasting away, you're going to want to be very strategic. But to your point, to allow people to look at the whole you know, spectrum of what is available and then with proper guidance, whittle it down to what's going to work for them in their situation based on their specific case. Yeah. It, that, that shouldn't, wouldn't be standard of care. It's a bit, it's sad, right. And, and a bit tragic because I think it would make a huge difference to their outcomes. And I think to what, something that you said earlier, it also empowers them because it puts them in a position where they're not just receiving treatment. They're also participating in their treatment. Which is huge which is huge, which is, you know, and I get it, the whole kind of conventional model medicine is very paternalistic still is like, do what your doctor says. And that just doesn't work, right? Like that's why you can give people tons of pharmaceuticals and we're not making really any progress in rates of depression, neurodegenerative disease, autoimmune disease, cancer, heart disease. Like we're not making progress. And people say, well, we just need better drugs. No, we just yeah. need a better paradigm. I mean, it's yeah. people want to be able if, if people are just doing things because someone else tells them to, no matter what it is in their life, it's not going to stick. It just doesn't, doesn't work. Absolutely. And it's also one dimensional. Yep. Right. And so, you know, to look, I mean, talking about depression, not to be looking at nutrition, not to be looking at how is this person managing their stress, not to be looking at maybe this person has a really good reason to, for being depressed and let's maybe have a go with that or bring in a, a discipline that's going to address that. Like so often, like I get that antidepressants for someone who's severely depressed and just can't kick out, at least as a strategy, a short-term strategy can sure. be tactically really powerful. But, but I would guess that more often than not, it's like, take this and off you go, as opposed to, well, you know, if you've lost 10 family members in the last couple of years, yeah. let's help you to deal with that and maybe give you a hand with this temporarily as we go through yeah. a process. No, it's so common. It's such a good point how people are put on pharmaceuticals and then they're just left on them. And I think if you look at the trajectory of something like uh, an antidepressant, like an SSRI, like Prozac, 
I mean, the way I think it works, I think it, it can work wonders in the short term. And that's yeah. how it does work. It really helps people. And the way I think about it is it raises the floor and lowers the ceiling on your emotional capability. So you're not going to be had to have the highest highs, but you're also going to be safeguarded against the lowest of lows. Yeah. And that's helpful if you're really in a dark place. Yeah. But after three months or maybe six months for most people that should be reevaluated to say, is it still working? Do you still need it? Because those medicines really aren't designed for long-term use. I mean, same thing with proton pump inhibitors, right? I was going like, to bring that up. Yeah. You know, like they were for six weeks, you, you, that's fine. And then also there's an alternative theory that we can talk about in terms of stomach acid, but maybe for six weeks, they're good, but people are on them for six years and now you can't absorb nutrients and now you mess up your hormones and everything goes haywire, starting from literally not having you know enough acid in your stomach, but people say, no, I need it. I don't know if you need it. Just no one's ever given you the chance to come off of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and the PPI story is also, you know, as we now start to hear, start to hear, and I think people like you have known this all along, that we now see an increase in cardiovascular disease. We see an increase absolutely. in bone density issues. We see it in, I mean, they can't hang on to muscle because if you can't digest your protein, you can't break it down. You can't absorb it. What's the body going to do? Never mind everything else, right? So- <laughs> And even probably more pertinent to today is it's really our first line of defense as our immune system. And so, yes. you know, they've proven with, you know, rates of people getting, you know, community acquired pneumonia that people who take proton pump inhibitors have a higher risk of that. Well, the same will apply to any sort of infectious disease. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Particularly the monster that shall remain nameless at this moment. <laughs> right. Well, it doesn't have to. I mean, you know, the fact no, is that COVID-19 is a thing and and this goes, this speaks to this foundation of health. And, and, you know, it, it, it amazes me so often that people will say, well, you know, this person had a horrible, horrible case of COVID-19 and they're healthy and they just stop there. And maybe because they believe that they're healthy, but there's so many underlying issues. Like, was that person on a proton pump inhibitor? Has yeah. I'm like, have they been for five years or do they have low lying inflammation that they didn't know about that? All of these things on the outside, we can't see, but on the inside sets the stage for a very different outcome. For sure. And I have two points about that because number one, I think about with HIV, HIV took us a, at least 10 years to understand any of it. Like we can't, we're in year two of this. We're really in the very infancy stages but in, in August, I got COVID really badly. I mean, I was on oxygen. I was hospitalized. I'm oh, wow. not the healthiest. Yeah, I'm not the healthiest, but I, I consider myself healthier than most. And yeah. so to that point, like, I, I don't know, is it my blood type? There seems to be something with blood type. You know, I'm A positive. Maybe that increased my risk of being severely affected. I don't know. On the surface, though, I can't figure it out. Like, That's why really did I get so sick? But I think it just goes to we're really early in trying to understand this and that's okay. And so we can't just make all these, you know, plans. Like the problem with COVID in my opinion, for the most part is we haven't focused on the treatment, right? Like yeah. we're not focusing on therapies that actually help people when they get sick for the most part, it's a mild disease. Even me saying this and I got really sick. Um, it's still, you know, you get through it for the most part. And so, yeah. but, but to your point, there's so much we have to understand about vitamin D levels, nutrition, the immune system as a whole that we can't see that people aren't paying attention to, or at least we're not talking about. Yeah. And I, I think I love the point about the discussion and I've always, I've been saying this all along now. It's like, you know, it's like we, 
as a, you know, our governments and whoever it is that's calling the shots, which I guess is our governments and certain drug companies have really, you know, they've shone the light on one thing and one thing only. And it's disappointing because I think it leaves people vulnerable to so many other issues that where if we broadened that light a little bit, then, or at least allowed a different dialogue to happen, we'd be looking at a, at a, at a much broader spectrum of tool of a toolkit to address this situation. Right. And it's interesting that, because I think with HIV, with AIDS, I don't know that there was that same singular focus. And I guess because it didn't, it didn't spread the same way. So it didn't, it didn't kind of ring the same alarm bells in the same way somehow. It, it didn't. I mean, it was a different time, right? We didn't have social media, which is a big, yeah. we didn't have the mainstream you know, news networks that, you know, people paid attention. We didn't have podcasts. I mean, the way we disseminate information now is just totally different than back in the eighties when HIV started to, you know, show its force, but it's just a good example. I mean, like, you know, they're now looking at when people go into the hospital, they're looking at just like they do with HIV, CD4 to CD8 counts of the immune system to understand the severity of someone's, you know, or at least the risk of severity of getting disease. So it's similar in that regard is that we, there's such a learning curve with this mm-hmm. can't have discussion. The concerning part to your point is we're not able to have discussion. You can't ask questions, right? It's all about, did you get a vaccine? Which yeah. I don't even think it makes sense to me because it's really not about the vaccine. It's about your antibody response, right? It's like, how is your immune system responding? Yeah. If we're not even checking that and then people say, well, we just can't check everyone's antibody response. Well, heck yeah, we can. Well, like, why not? We came, up with a, <laughs> we came up with several vaccines within less than a year. Of course, we can check people's antibody response. And why wouldn't we want to know that? Like, that's really important here. Yeah, no, and it's and and it's critical data, right? And I mean, I don't want to stay on this for too long, but ultimately, I think it's the politicization of the issue that's really, really hurt us. And sure. um, it's become you know, it's become so polarizing and so people on different sides of the fence. And I don't think anything in science will ever benefit from that posture. That's well said. So, all right, well, let's move on from that and let's get into our topics, shall we? (laughs) Because there's so many things on my list of things to ask you, but let's start, you know, one of the things I believe, and I think we're on the same page here is when I'm, you know, just as a, as a health coach or nutritionist or whatever it is that I do, I'm always looking to see how far upstream can we go to, to help a person's system to be more optimized. And in my mind, and I'm, I'm going to guess that maybe we're going to be on the same page here. It starts with what's happening inside with, in your head. Like it starts with your attitude, your mindset, your belief system. And I know that that's something that you talk about as well. So I thought maybe we would start there and then move. You would take us through this journey that would eventually get us to NAD and peptides and all the other cool stuff that you do. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it is critical. I think if you look at, um, you know, people who are, however you want to um, define successful, people who are successful um, are positive thinkers, right? And they understand that what they think about leads to what happens in their life. And so what I talk about with patients and it's very true and it can be subtle, but the things you focus on are the things you'll always get. Like it's a hundred percent true. Like you will always get what you focus on. 
And so once you understand that and understand that the things that you focus on are a choice, why wouldn't you always want to focus on the positive? That doesn't mean that negative things don't happen. For sure they do, but we don't have to stay there like mm-hmm. ever. Like we can learn and rewire the the neurochemistry and our thought patterns to be positive, right? And so I just think it's critical for people to make that distinction because there is, you know, our brains and the way we have society, there's so much fear, particularly with conventional medicine, so much fear around if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. You know, and the easiest way I think about that is when talking to people about weight loss, right? People say, oh, I can't wait to lose weight. I'm excited to lose weight. Well, you're still focused on the weight, right? You're going to have much better success if you say, I can't wait to wear that bathing suit, right? Like you have to focus on what you want because whatever you focus on is what you're going to get. And if people don't do that, and that's why it's really critical for people to want to show up and make change in their life, because if you're just doing it for someone else or because someone else told you to, it's never going to stick because you don't buy into it. You don't believe it. And I'm a big believer that anything and everything is possible. Most people won't get there because they just don't believe it to be true. Yeah. Or, or possible. And I, you know, I was recently having a conversation with someone and making the distinction between thinking of weight loss as the allowing your body to release weight versus losing weight. Yeah. And even that, that tiny little shift in language, how it can have a massive impact on your thought process to your point, because to release something is very different than to lose something, right? Like if you're just, there's almost an unconscious element to loss that would imply, well, I'm going to find it again. Right. Or it could find me again or something like that. I like that a lot. But also taking a step further, like as humans, we beat ourselves up about what we eat, right? Like there's this negative dialogue, like you have a piece of cake or a cookie and then you're a bad person. You've done something wrong and that's what you focus on. And that's very stressful over time. Mm-hmm. And so the question I have for my patients is why would you ever be beating yourself up? Like, why yeah. would you want to tell yourself you're a bad person? or you've done something wrong and you can take it a step further and say, well, then people say, well, I ate sugar or I ate the cake and it was bad for me. So how do you know? Wow. Like you, It's only bad because you said it's bad. That's where it starts. Not that you should eat cake all day. I'm not advocating. That. <laughs> no, no, I'm any, sure you're not. <laughs> but I do think there is something to, you know, you got to be positive about the things like anything, wh- whether it's eating or injecting yourself with something or whatever it is, whatever you want to put in your body, like it has to be positive or you're going to have this buildup, this cumulative effect of negative energy. And yeah. that's where we'll get stuck. I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, that brings to, it's even like, you know, it, it, I've used the an- analogy with clients sometimes of if you've ever taken a driving, like a performance driving course, which many people haven't to be, to be fair. But one of the things I was taught is when you're taking a, a hairpin turn, for example, if you look at the wall, guess what? You're heading into that wall. If you're looking at where you want your car to go, that's exactly where your car is going to go. (laughs) That's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think some people can relate to it better than others, but if you're a driver, you get that, Yeah. you know, or, you know, and then another one for people is, you know, what you speak, you will become, which I heard on a podcast somewhere. I can't remember who said it, but that was so powerful when I heard that. And it's, and it speaks exactly to what you're talking about, that inner dialogue that if you're able to flip it to the positive, everything becomes easier and you instantly become kinder to yourself. For sure. 
And, and it's just good for people to think about, even if you can't do that yet, yeah. even if you're just aware of your thoughts, if you can just become aware and understand that for most people, there's negativity that they're self-imposing on a regular basis, right? Like you're not a good person. You did this wrong. You're, you know, you don't show up. You're not worthy. Like all of that is a lie. It's only what you tell yourself is what you become. Yeah. And I think well, just the first step is just being aware that your thoughts, like you are thinking things, right? Like you're, you're able to generate thoughts. And once you're aware that, okay, those thoughts are real, then you can understand that you can make the choice of what you want that narrative to be. Absolutely. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I love that. And actually, you know what, to move now into the more, into the more health paradigm, if you will, this brings us to the whole placebo effect or nocebo effect, right? Like your thoughts are so powerful that we've seen, I think we see it in clinical trials all the time, people who are given something that actually isn't the active ingredient and yet they believe that it's going to work for them. For sure. And there, and there can be positive movement. Like there's something to this whole placebo effect or nocebo effect, whatever the case, like, I guess nocebo is kind of the dark side of placebo, but. Yeah, no. And I think it goes further when people evaluate like studies, right? Cause I think our society in many ways is hung up on these pharmaceutical studies and saying, Oh, that's the only way to determine if something works. And I don't buy it because you, as humans, we can't control for the things we're talking about. Yeah. You can't control for someone's thought process about whatever it is they're taking. And that's a big, powerful thing. And so whether you, you know, you control for people, you know, eating a certain way or exercising a certain way or taking a certain pharmaceutical, you're still not controlling their thought pattern. You're still not controlling their behavioral development. They're part of their personality developments. You can't ever do that. So you always have to take these human studies with a grain of salt and understand that most of them are just, you, I don't put a lot of faith in. No, no. I mean, look, I mean, it's not, it's never not useful. It's definitely a baseline, but I think to your point, you have to take it you have to understand that there are, unless you put somebody in a, you know, in a fixed environment, which right. in and of itself would be a stressor, by the way, Absolutely. <laughs> right? Right. Like, like there's no way to really do a true fully controlled clinical trial. Can't um, like it, so, it can't yeah. happen. And so that's why in, in our practice that I like, and I express to my patients, I like for people to try things and I want people to have options to try things. Cause how will we ever know? if individually we don't try them, right? We just can't, like we can make, like I think there's tremendous validity and value in safety studies. Like that to me, the most sense, like that's the first rule. We never want to do something that's any bit harmful to anyone. So if we can get past that hurdle and say, this is safe. And then, you know, I don't know if peptide X or NAD or this vitamin is going to be good for someone or this hormone, like I can think that is, but until someone tries it and experiences it, how do we really know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. All right. Well then let's, so we've got mindset and now there's just all these other cool things I want to talk about. So maybe a good way to start with you pick either NAD or peptides, whichever one came first, what, when did you introduce this into your practice? Like what kind of turned that light on for you? Because I mean, we both know they're transformative substances Sure. But at what point did Dr. Conover decide, oh, there's this stuff? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't remember the exact time. We can talk about NAD first. So when sure. I opened my practice, this was 2006, I started in with, and I'm in here in Charleston, South Carolina. <clears throat> I started with these nutritional IVs and I don't remember what drove me to want to offer that, but I did. And I learned a lot. And so at this time, this is, 
you know, 15 years ago, these yeah. IVs were not popular. There was no, no hangover. There wasn't like, there wasn't trendy at all. Um, so I learned a lot seeing how the people who did them, who were tended to be people who were sick, people who were chronically fatigued, some chronic disease, we could get someone feeling better really quickly giving them IV nutrients, like within a matter of weeks. And in, in conventional medicine, certainly in medical school, most doctors are taught that the most important thing you can do for a patient is, is secure a diagnosis. And I don't agree with that. I think the most important thing we can do is get people feeling a little bit better. So they right? believe because they can get better. Yeah, totally. Totally. That's what it's about. And so the vast majority of people, it's an energetic thing, right? People just are tired and they feel stressed, and they, especially in the stressful world we live in. And so if you can get someone in a matter of weeks, just to feel a little bit better, then that light's going to turn on. They're going to be like, I like this. I want more of this feeling, whatever that is. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I was fortunate. I, I work with these nutritional IVs and I have spent so much time there that at some point, I don't remember the time, this is probably seven years ago now where the gentleman who actually brought NAD to the United States, um, he opened a clinic in Atlanta called Execucare, where all they did was NAD for addiction, which is how it grew up. Yes. And I got to know him because I'm involved with IVs. We're not far from Atlanta. He used to refer people. And at some point he came to me and said he needed help because there's so many questions. He wasn't a doctor. And so we started working with it um, to understand it. And, and since that time, it's taken off in so many directions, but we got to play with it, so to speak, at a very early time and understand how to use it and re-engineer the original protocols and came up with our own kind of way of doing it. And then once that started taking off and we got people feeling tremendously better really quickly, word started to spread and, and things took off um, so much so that, yeah, we've overseen more NAD treatments probably than anywhere else in the world. I mean, we do a lot of NAD. I'm very biased about it, but I'm biased <laughs> because I've seen it work. And I think used appropriately, it's such a powerful tool. Um, and so I'm a huge believer in people, you know, engaging in NAD in some point in their life. Hey guys, I just want to interrupt this podcast very quickly to thank our sponsor today. And that is Oxford HealthSpan. Oxford HealthSpan makes primidine, which is by far the best spermidine supplement on the market. Spermidine is an amazing anti-aging supplement. It hits six of the nine hallmarks of aging. So it helps us to age better. And in some ways, it even helps to turn the clock back on certain processes of cellular aging. I highly encourage you to give it a try. It's great for sleep. It's good for your hair, skin, and nails, and a whole bunch of other amazing benefits. They've got some great, great information about the supplement and what it can do for you on their website, which is you can find at primadine.com. And if you decide you want to give it a chance for yourself, give it a try, then you're going to want to use promo code BIONAT1515, and that will get you 15% off your purchase. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. So what about the idea of preparing the cell for this hit of NAD? Like, you know, NAD is all about this balance between the NAD, NADH, like this redox reaction in the cell. Yeah. and I've heard people speak sometimes about, well, you can't just go dumping a bunch of NAD into somebody's body without, without preparing the cell or the machinery to, to, to be ready to accept it in some way, like in, as in it could really overload that, that kind of reaction too heavily to one side and overwhelm the system. So 
just I've always been wanting to ask this question. So that's part of the, I mean, it's one of the many reasons I was so excited about this podcast, but I'm like, I've always wanted to ask that and your thoughts about that. I, I think of it in a couple of ways. One, I think those are more theoretical discussions, right? Like I'm interested for my patients, for the people I care about in clinical response. Mm-hmm. So we can talk all day about cellular senescence and what that means and can we measure it and how to get there and how do we optimize the environment for the cell. A lot of that to me is theoretical. And I can say that because we've given so much NAD to people of all, you know, people as young as 12 people into their nineties, all kinds of reasons to give people NAD. And it's been overwhelmingly positive, hmm. overwhelming. So I certainly can't say that we're giving people NAD at the exact right moment in their life. Like there may, and, and we're still learning. And like, I'd love to learn that. Like there's certainly ways to optimize this and make this whole system better. And we're trying to figure that out. But the way I want to figure that out is by clinical things. I want to see how people feel and watch them kind of on that path and on that journey. Having done that for years and years with NAD, yeah, we are far from perfect, far from there. But where we are is super powerful, meaningful people for people. I mean, it's been the most transformational experience for people, for most people that we work with of their lives. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's a way to get their nervous system back online. Like, that's amazing. Now, is that perfect? But no, it's not perfect. But I also believe that there's something about the timing of things that really matters, right? And so when people come to me at whatever point in their life, or I happen to be meeting them, and we're talking about NAD, and it feels right, then it probably is right to start on that path. That doesn't mean, again, that it, that it's perfect. Mm-hmm. But there's something to be said for that timing, because it seems to work well. It seems to be that's where what we need to do at that moment. But it's almost like it gives them that lift. I mean, it's what you were talking about earlier. It's giving people a toehold into, especially people that have been so depleted, so tired, so sick, so kind of downtrodden, essentially, by their by their health challenges or issues, and giving them that little step up where they can kind of get a breath of fresh air. They've been breathing through a straw, if you will, and all of a sudden, sure. you're opening the door to actually your body can have energy. You can feel like you have energy. Sure. Yeah. And I tell people, I'm very transparent upfront that we may be wrong, right? Like we may look back in 20 years and say, oh, we should have done it differently for sure. But I'd much rather be on this side of the equation where we're trying stuff. Again, it's very safe. We've never, ever had an adverse reaction, whether we're using like ever. And we're, I'm, I'm talking primarily here about intravenous NAD because that's what mm-hmm. we do mostly. Like we've never had an adverse reaction. So it's very, very safe. So I'd rather be on that side of the equation for helping people try stuff. Even if I don't totally understand it. I know there's a lot of cynics and critics who say, oh, we have to understand it better. I don't want to wait for the academics to tell me it's no. okay to do something ever. I want to help people. And if we're wrong, then we'll just readjust it and we'll keep going. And yeah. People align with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's so foundational to the functioning of our cells and our bodies that it just can't be all bad, right? There's, it just, you know, maybe to your point, maybe there's a better way. And, and the truth is that you're not doing this in an, in a vacuum, like you're doing everything else. So when to that end, like when you're doing offering an AD therapy to a patient, um, I'm going to go out on the limb and guess that you're also working on the whole other suite of, of their, of their situation, right? Like you're not sure. just saying, just well, come in for NAD IVs and off you go kind of thing. For sure. I think there's like some people come into it sometimes. So the way I see it is sometimes we just start with NAD because I'm curious sure. how people respond. 
And for the vast majority of people who just do a loading dose of NAD, they're going to get some up-leveling about how they feel. Their mood is better. They handle stress better. Um, their nervous system seems to be in a better place. And at that point, they seem to be more willing and wanting then to do work on other things, right? Yeah. So the analogy I use is, and it's not perfect, is instead of, I think the conventional or the older way is you have to train really hard to get the results of the race, yes. right? In this model, I let people win the race mm -hmm. and then tell them, then they can see, okay, now I have to do the hard work to actually get there again. On my and own. I think that works. Yeah. On, on yeah, own, yeah. Right? So now I'm curious, I need to sleep better. Or what are my hormones doing? Or what are my nutrients doing? I'm more curious and willing to be engaged in that process. There are some people for sure who are, you know, all in, they want to do everything. Let's do NAD. Let's start with peptides. Let's do ozone, whatever it is. So it just depends. You got to meet people where they are. Yeah, no, I, I, I actually love that. It's that, it's that quick win, right? We talk about it in all the things that we do. It's, can I do something that, that gives this person a quick win that they didn't have to brawl Correct. <laughs> because they've been brawling. And to your point, by the time they get to you, they're exhausted. For and, sure. and, you know, what if you could help them to have a win without having to work with it, because that's part of the belief system, right? The belief system that losing weight is hard, making money is hard, being healthy is hard, eating healthy is a job. It's exhausting. Like, no wonder so many people check out and go, you know what, I'm just going to go have my whatever and just leave me alone. It's too much work. I totally agree. I, I think that's super well said. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So if you can get the small wins, you get people on board, then they're more curious about okay, what else can I do to continue this or make this even better? Yeah. And that's when magic starts to happen for sure. I love it. I love it. And they have the energy for it. So, okay. So when did peptides come to the party? When did they show up? <laughs> you started with NAD. Yeah. We've been doing peptides at least three years now on a, yeah. On a, yeah for at least three years. And um, it's grown and evolved and developed. I mean, just because there's so many peptides and again, same thing. Peptides are, as you know, so safe. Like we don't see any, any bad things happening to people. So empirically people can try peptides and I want people to try peptides um, because they can work so quickly, right? Like, and I tell people if you're in, and for the most part, we're talking about injectable peptides, if you're injecting something into your body. You really need to see some benefits within the first three to four weeks. Not that yeah. it's going to be perfect, but we really need to move that needle. It's not like swallowing a pill or taking a pharmaceutical, which you may never feel like we really want to start to see some benefits. And for the most people, they do get that. Yeah. yeah. It, it never ceases to amaze me. Like I've used, um, I've used oxytocin subcutaneously mm -hmm. to um, just anabolically, like post for anabolic benefits, post-workout, which is mostly theoretical. I think most of the studies are in mice, but there's yeah. enough there that I'm like, not going to hurt if nothing else. Sure. I'll just be in a better mood today. <laughs> like, you know. But it never ceases to amaze me that I can be introducing 70 or 80 micrograms of a substance into my belly fat and inside of a minute, I feel it inside yeah. of a minute. I, my ears are, my face is flushed, my head. Sure. I like, I physically have sensations in my body, like the power of these signaling molecules and the speed at which they travel through the body and create these cascading events to me is just mind blowing. It is mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. You know, we see the same thing with when we give people intravenous nutrients, right? And like mm -hmm. we, we use a vitamin 
push I created called a fast vitamin where we push a lot of magnesium and literally within seconds you're tasting it and then you're feeling it all throughout your body. And it just shows you how quickly that nutrient, whatever it is, the substance is pumped through all of your vascular system. Like it happens in seconds that you pump all the blood through your body over and over every few seconds. Like it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's astounding. Yeah. No, I think the human body is one of those things that if, you know, what, when I was studying physiology and in, in, I guess what you would call a college, what I call university, <laughs> um, I remember walking out of lectures going like, holy crap, like this is just like if people actually knew what they were in possession of in this physical body that we have, yeah. you would walk around in a constant state of awe and wonder. And I mean, it sounds cheesy. I know like you could be rolling your eyes, but really <laughs> like, no, it's, it's such a good point. I'm privileged. I get to work with some really like peak performer, professional athletes, like top, top, top of their, whatever it is. And it's amazing to see what they can and can't do and what's possible. Like if you have that focus and you train and you kind of incorporate all of these things, and then it's amazing too, when you see the opposite, when you have some professional athletes and they don't care about nutrition, sleep, anything, and they're just naturally talented. And it's amazing. Like the difference, I think. It's yeah. Really amazing. It is amazing. But you know, and then you take those, I, I would imagine from a longevity as a professional elite athlete, yeah. they're going to do better on one side of the fence than the other. You know, totally. I mean, you look at a guy like Tom Brady, for example, this is not a guy who's running around eating Big Macs and staying okay. up all night and doing the things like you just don't get to have that type of longevity and performance on pure talent alone. Obviously yeah. the guy's got talent, but you know, he's, he's working he's for it. Hard. He's worked super hard. And he's really smart about it. And he has people who advise him who study this. And, you know, that in the last five years, we've made huge gains in terms of what we can do biochemically for sure. Understanding. Yeah. So good for him. Yeah. No kidding. And, you know, he's in good. There's a few of them around. So, so what are your favorite peptides? That's a good question. Do you have favorite children in that realm or do you just can't be like, a favorite? Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I like, um, I, we use a lot of BPC-157. I find it to be the most versatile peptide. Probably a lot of people would say that. I yeah. think that it, it's just so versatile. Um, we use it, in fact, intravenously. So, I mean, we there's no ceiling. Really? Yeah, so there's really, in my opinion, no ceiling on the amount of BPC one can use. Yeah, well, there's a handful or so of peptides we use intravenously as well as subcutaneously. Um, MOTC obviously is kind of the new darling peptide, you know, for body composition and the mitochondria health. Um, we're using more human in things like that as well. Another mitochondrial peptide. I like uh, C-Max. Yeah. C-Max is a great peptide you know, developed in Russia, helps people um, who've had a stroke with a traumatic brain injury, helps increase BDNF levels in the brain, kind of the juice the neurons live in. Um, those would probably be my top Top yeah. one. Well, I mean, ironically, BPC-157 does that too, right? It's protective on TBIs. Like, I mean, I call BPC-157 the Model T Ford of the peptide world like because that. there's literally, <laughs> there's almost no, I mean, we have receptors for it everywhere. I mean, not only we talk about it for healing for musculoskeletal injuries, blah, 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 but then for the brain, for the heart, for the kidneys, for, I mean, for so many things, if you start looking up the literature on BPC, there's... I think you, you'd almost be hard pressed not to find a condition where somebody's found something. I, I agree. Yeah, no, it's so protective. I mean, really any, any sort of anyone who's any, has any fitness level should probably be on it just because it's so protective for the soft tissue, the, the tendons, ligaments, that's where injuries happen. 
like to your point, upregulates growth hormone receptors. I mean, there's so much you can do with BPC. For sure. And so do you, what's your philosophy on peptides though? Do you, are you a proponent of cycling them or are you, cause I know with BPC 157, I will often see, hear people in my group say, well, I'm just going to be on it for indefinitely. And I'm like, nah, I don't know. I feel like the body responds to pulses better than it does Absolutely. to a constant I, stimulus, but. I think that's true for everything. So we apply that with everything. I, the, I call it consistent inconsistencies, right? And so we want to, we, we want to cycle things. So we usually with peptides, we'll do five days on two days off. Um, and is that enough time? I don't know. It seems to be for most people. Again, we're still learning. Yeah. Um, we kind of learn how people do, but that seems to work. And we've had people on peptides for years if they stick to that schedule. I think if you're working on something, right? Like if you've got an acute injury and you're using a lot of BPC and you want to use it straight, that's fine too. You're just going to need to take some time off. But we apply that principle to people taking supplements, hormones, like take the weekends off. You don't need to do everything every day. Like that's yeah. how we lose exposure to things. Yeah. Potent. Absolutely. Even for nutrition, right? I think the only thing that probably doesn't apply to is sleep. That's the one thing you want to, you want to keep that going as much as possible, which doesn't mean you're not going to have a bad night once in a while, or you're not going to stay up late once in a while, but sleep would be the one thing I don't think cycling necessarily is as obvious for, but. I agree. But I would say probably most people, because they don't sleep well every night, it's mm -hmm. already, you know, naturally already built in. <laughs> and then people have it, that perspective, then it's okay not to have a great night's sleep. Like there's this thing about sleep where people are like fearful. If I don't sleep eight hours, oh, I'm ruined. And it's like, no, maybe just you make the best of it. That minor or major stress for that day may be good for you. Yeah. You know, not, not the long term. We get that. There's, but yeah, yeah no, I, I actually see it in my community. It's this obsession now that we've gotten into because of these wearable devices that people are wearing, which they're all wearing um, that, you know, the, the, the granularity with which they're going to look at their metrics and how, and how, you know, how fixated they become on, well, I can't get my REM sleep to move, or I can't get my, this to move. And not that there isn't something that maybe you could be doing or changing or whatever the case may be, but that obsession in and of itself becomes a driver for crappy sleep, to be honest. I mean, it happened to me at the very beginning of the wearable where I literally had to like, you know, treat myself like a two-year-old and go, okay, we're going to put that toy away for now. And we'll come back to it in a little while when you're ready. For sure. Which is smart. Yeah. I mean, I think it's become stressful. Sure. A lot of it, particularly wearables, a lot of it's just noise, right? Like we don't know the meaningful aspect to that data and you can't just look every night and say, okay, this is what it means. We yeah. don't know that yet. Yeah. I mean, I think that a great way to use it is, you know, I'm using this, I'm trying something new. I'm trying a different supplement or a different practice or whatever the case may be. Is this showing up in my metrics in some way? Right. Um, you know, I, I recently did an experiment with a compound called spermidine mm -hmm. and, you know, people rave about spermidine that it makes their sleep better, blah, 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 which it does for a lot of people. For me, I've never really noticed it did much, but then I decided, you know, if spermidine really can upregulate autophagy, if it really hits those six hallmarks of aging, blah, blah, blah. What if I pulsed it at high dose instead of using it chronically at low dose? Yeah. And I was, I am blown away still at the massive different, like I'll take 12 capsules with 12 or 15 capsules, which is four or five times your normal dose. I'll open them up and dump them into like oat milk or something and yeah. eat it up and then have it before bed. It is amazing how it shows up in my sleep metrics the next day. Wow. 
It's, I like that. It's actually really cool. And I think, you know, because, you know, if you think it's something like, and it even affects cellular senescence. So let's say it does. Sure. So let's say with any senolytic, you're not going to use it every day. You're going to use it. Impulse. Quickly. Yeah. And so anyway, so that's my new th- personal N of one theory. I actually had to do it. She saw the same thing. And this is a woman yeah. who was using a GLP one agonist. So her HRV, yeah. like her heart rate, everything tanks when you're on a GLP one because of increasing your heart rate and that whole nine yards. And she was like, holy crap, you should see my sleep metrics. Like they're unbelievable. So she's wow. a page out of my book and the two of us are kind of doing this. So, you know, it's a little. I'm gonna try it. I love it. I love the trial and error. That's, I love it. And I love using something in massive dosages, which people are like, oh, you can't do that. No, why not? Well, you can. I mean, at least periodically. I mean, you know, especially something like this. Hey, folks, just a quick word about a super exciting project I've got coming up this year for the very first time. I'll be co-hosting a five-day intensive retreat, a women's longevity and resilience retreat in beautiful Cabarete, Dominican Republic, from March 25th to March 30th. If you want to learn more about this, please go to my website, natnidham.com and click on the retreat tabs at the top of the page. Not only will you learn about your own genetics, but you'll also be learning about your own biological age. We'll be doing live blood cell analysis. We're going to be deep diving into all things biohacking, personalizing it for you. You'll get to have massages, go for hikes, go to the beach, sunrise walks, sunset walks, you name it. We've packed it all in. So to learn more, once again, go to natnidham.com and go to the retreats tab at the top of the page. Also, keep an eye on my Instagram account. I'll be hosting some Instagram lives over the next few weeks so that you can get your questions answered live. That's it. That's all. And I just had to tell you about this really exciting development. Enjoy the rest of the episode. I have a note here that says to ask you about treatment process. Treatment process. I'm supposed to ask about your treatment process. So, I mean, I wonder if that has to do with how you receive people and decide, you know, is it going to be an NAD or, I mean, I'm guessing it's going to be the passive vitamin IV. You're going to start a nutritional place first, but I don't, I'm going to let yeah, you know. It <laughs> varies. I mean, it varies. It's I've learned that I have to meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. So I think people come into the relationship with me, just like any provider, they have their own things that they are concerned about and trying to understand that and trying to understand what's kind of behind. I I try to understand if, you know, a core question is like, do people see the world as a safe place or an unsafe place? Yeah. I think that determines a lot of their lens and then a lot of where we should start. Not that we are going to flip the switch very quickly and and make them feel safe again, but it just, I think it, it, it shows me or I get a glimpse of how they see the world. And because part of having success or anyone having success is, is being in that relationship and engaging in that, you know, in a way that we talked about in the beginning where it's not just given to you, but that you want to be part of it. And so some people, you know, most people find out about our practice through word of mouth or podcasts such as this, which people are like, Oh, I'm interested in this. This is a little different. Um, But they still have some things. Most people are, it's not like a blank slate. Like I'm great. I want to be amazing. It's like, no, I'm not sleeping as well, or I want to lose some weight or whatever it is. And then we just, you know, kind of understand that then present them with options. Cause I'm a big believer that people have to choose what they want to do next. Like they, I I can't, I mean, I'll give my opinion, 
but I also want to have a sense of where they are with that. So some people it's, we're going to start with comprehensive lab work. Some people it's going to, we're going to start with NAD. Some of the other IVs we do, you know, we use like intravenous paracetam has been wonderful um, where we give people massive doses, just massive 12 grams of paracetam in like two Whoa. months. Yeah. It's that's really going to be, t- be a trip and a half. <laughs> it is. It is. And so we get to use like that. We use intravenous curcumin, right? Which is really powerful. Big, big dosages of curcumin. Like, I think everyone who's gotten that has been like really impressed with how they feel. And so it's just trying to understand that. And there's, so there's so many tools that it's, it's really engaging how we can kind of put them together and we just got to get started. And then I, then we just edit and keep tweaking. And as long as people are curious, we're going to keep working on stuff. Yeah. I love that. So the qualifier for your ideal patient is openness, curiosity, and participation. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's the key. Like, uh, yeah, I can't convince people of anything, right? No one can. No, nope. we're all we're all experts in our own right, and I don't want to. And so some of it goes back to that timing, like it's mm-hmm. they're in front of me, or we're talking about it. And there's probably a reason that we're using that time, you know, to make progress. All right, okay. Now I want to clone you and bring one of you to Canada, but I think you've kind of taken steps in that direction, Doctor Conover. <laughs> not not quite cloning yourself, but. Yeah. No, I mean, we're trying to, we, we have some things that'll be coming out more of a kind of an international approach with what we're doing. Um, but some of it too is, you know, especially with COVID and being able to work with people remotely, you know, through, you know, Zoom, through email has really opened things up, which has been great. Um, but I also, like, I, I am a firm believer, like, I don't, I don't, want to be more than I can bring to the table. Like I don't expect that. So for me, I have to have balance in my life too. Like I don't want to work 24 hours a day. So I don't want to be, because people have asked me, why don't you franchise and do all these things all over? It's well, because I need it to stay personable, number one, and I need it to stay realistic. And there's going to be limits. I can't help everyone. Like I'm only capable of doing what I can bring to the table. I want to keep pushing that. But if I'm not being authentic about that, then how can I be authentic in helping other people? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And yeah, you can't be cloned. That's for sure. Okay. So do you want to talk a little bit about your new ventures though? Because we're not airing this until January. So I think at that point is, do you want to, are you willing, is there anything you're able to share or you can't just. I I can't yet. um, Just because in case there's a chance it doesn't go through. I mean, there's a very, very, very slim chance. Um, but we can, we're happy to give an update, but no, I mean, we're, our, our goal really is to, to give people options in, in lots of different things. Right. And so we're already, we're always trying to innovate in terms of how we can deliver different substances, whether it be peptides, whether it be NAD in different vehicles, right. Whether that be through intravenous use, subcutaneous use, transdermal use, sublingual, we're big fans of looking outside the oral route. I'm a big fan of intranasal using nasal sprays. So we're using peptides as a nasal spray. We're using peptides yeah. topically. We're using peptides subcutaneously. We're using peptides intravenously. All of these things can be applied in different ways. And that's really kind of what we are excited about most and being able to offer those options for people. I love that. And actually, that brings me to a question I did want to ask you about the different forms of administration of NAD, because there are so many different ways of slicing this. If for people who, until I can get myself to Charleston and get an ATIV, which I fully plan to do after this conversation someday, but the intranasal, the sub, the sublingual, the oral, like, why don't you tell us a little bit about these different methods of administration and where they may be helpful for people? 
Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think of it in terms of bioavailability. So I, I use, and it's just a generalization, and it applies to really every substance. We, we only absorb about 20% of nutrients orally. Like that's an average. Some is going to be less, some is going to be more. Um, I look at intravenous infusions of closer to 100%. So we're getting 100% absorption 100% of the time, right? And I think people understand that the way I explain it is, you know, uh, pneumonia, for example, about two thirds of people get pneumonia can be treated with oral antibiotics that you just find, but still a third of them have to go to the hospital. And why is because they need intravenous antibiotics for the bioavailability penetration into the bacterial infection. So people understand that we do that with chemotherapy. We do that with vaccines. We do that with all kinds of substances in terms of injecting them. Right. Yeah. So I think of IV is hundred percent. I think of uh, subcutaneous into the fat is 80% intramuscular, 70% sublingual under the tongue is like 50%. The wild card seems to be topical or transdermal brands mm-hmm. do well and some don't. And yeah. I to understand that. So again, trial and error, but that's how I think about it. So in terms of people thinking about NAD, you're going to get the most out of IV for sure. For sure. It's a transformational experience. There's the oral NAD precursors like NR, NMN. They can work for sure, but I've never heard anyone say they've had a transformational experience from using NMN or NR. No. Now I have people every day having transformational experiences using intravenous NAD. So I, I like that as the gold standard. However, it's expensive. It's tedious. You have to be in a place that can offer it. So that's why we've looked at, well, maybe giving a smaller dose, like a microdose subcutaneously. Mm-hmm. Do that. Why not try it topically? People will do that intranasally, get into the nervous system. People will do that. You can combine all of these things. No one has the answer for how to do it perfect. I just think you have to start somewhere, try it. And then most people who start with NAD want to continue on that path. For sure. I mean, I've used um, a sublingual powder, NAD Mm -hmm. powder that I really liked. I actually did feel that. Um, Significantly, it's hard. It's harder to. Um, I haven't looked. I mean, it was sent to me by a company in in the UK, um, yeah. which I I really I have to say of all the NADs that I've tried so far, not not IV yet. Um, yeah. It's been my favorite, and then and the and the intranasal actually also interesting. Yeah, enough. yeah I think there seems to be. We've seen with people who have addictive tendencies, people with, you know, attention deficit, there seems to be an underlying kind of denominator that they have low NAD levels in their nervous system. And Mm -hmm. so they're, they're people who need a lot of NAD. That's just from our experience. Like they may be doing an IV every single week to get the most out of it. Whereas most people, once they do a loading dose can do once a month or some variant. But yeah, people, yeah. Who, the people who really, those two kind of, if we group those together, they need a lot of NAD. Like their nervous system is not set up to make as much NAD as maybe someone else. And do, do you um, do you subscribe at all to this notion of some of these supplements, these NAD supplements that may be using NR or NMN that are using certain nutrients to address the salvage pathway of NAD in the cell or downregulate CD38. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, so these are, I mean, really NAD, we're supposed to be recycling it. Correct. And as we age, of course, we don't do anything as well as we used to, except for some things. Um, But but we don't recycle NAD as efficiently. We get an upregulation of certain proteins like a CD38 that's going to start chomping through our NAD. And so yeah. there's certain compounds that can maybe downregulate those things. I'm guessing that with the intravenous, it's less of an issue because to your point, like it's so efficient at getting NAD in there, you're going to overwhelm those systems. But that's, with- what we, that's 
Right. That's what we think, right? One of the right. things missing in this space is being able to measure, right, in a reliable way, measure someone's NAD status. Like there's some labs right. that are doing it, but it's inconvenient. I don't I don't know how validated that is yet. Yeah. So that's one of the missing pieces of the puzzle. If we can do some commercial lab testing, understand and test a, a lot of people and understand, okay, this is about where people feel their best or whatever for age groups and demographics, then we can understand how best to keep it there. But until that time, yeah, in our experience, like we've talked about, you're bursting NAD to the scene. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's I, I, I speculate that it's more than just what's going on in the mitochondria. I think there's something about a, it being a signaling molecule like peptides that is a part of it because mm-hmm. we just get so much kind of efficiency with all parts of the nervous system. And again, yeah. I can't quantify that. I'm qualifying it by just telling people, my experience, anecdotally, what I've seen from thousands upon thousands of people doing it. Nice. And so I think you answered this a little while ago, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just in case. So, and I'm guessing it varies from person to person and situation to situation, but if somebody were to, to do an NADIV after doing a loading, whatever that loading program is, how long is are the benefits going to last? And maybe could these supplements that address the salvage pathway and, you know, the CD38 and all that, can that help to keep things going longer between treatments kind of? I'm sure it can. Yeah. So what we see is we do a loading dose for most people, five treatments in 10 days, then on average people do one IV a month. And I think, and again, where does that come from? Well, when we started doing this, we noticed that people would come back between the third and fourth week saying, that feeling that I've had, I want to maintain. I need a top up. Yep. And so it's not, it wasn't negative, like, oh, it all went away. It was like, no, I want to keep this going. So that's why most people it's once a month. And I think just logistically that works with scheduling too, right? Like you can just right. think I can do this once a month and it just resonates with people. Um, but to your point, yeah, I mean, that's what we're trying to figure out now. How do you optimize it with other agents to maybe go longer in between an IV? So you don't have to do that. Um I, I think there's a lot to be learned for sure. Is there an age, a magic age for NAD? Do you think? I don't think so. I think that the thing we've learned is that people in their twenties, people who tend to be younger, healthier, more physically fit, they don't feel it as much. Right. And so with NAD, it. yeah, they, it doesn't seem like they need it. So the, we just have a, a thing that the more people feel it, the more they need it. Now that could be different genetics. I've had people who are yeah. 24 who are crushed by it really, but they need it. And mm-hmm. then you have people who are 55 in great shape. They don't really feel it either. I would argue, I think NAD is a safety net. I think it's a safety net for a mitochondria. It allows you to do, be more metabolically flexible in your life. Um, meaning probably you can eat some more carbohydrates. You don't have to exercise as much. You may not have to sleep as much. It's going to be that safety net um, in many ways that other agents aren't. Yeah. I love it. Okay, cool. And obviously as we age, we're going to, there'll be more, a higher percentage of people who just will benefit. Actually, makes sense, right? Because like they're just going to benefit. That totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah. You've had more DNA damage. You've had more stress. You're just more, you know, you're less metabolically flexible. Did we leave anything out? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean, I feel like I could great. talk to you for a really long time, for sure. but, you know, in the interest of your time and our listen, listeners' attention span, my guess yeah. is they're all sitting there going, no, wait, ask him this. No, ask him that. But we can always do this again sometime. But well, I appreciate it. This is great. I love having this level of conversation. Well, thank you. So why don't we tell people a little bit about how they can find you and reach you and, and avail themselves of your genius? Yeah. I mean, the two places really is on, on the internet, right? Our website is Conover Wellness, Conover with a K, K-O-N-I-V-E-R, wellness.com. And then on Instagram, the same thing at Conover Wellness. 
I'm going to try to keep it simple for people. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. This has been a real pleasure. No, I, I, I really enjoy talking to you. This is great. So thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I hope we do it again soon. Okay, good. All right. Take care. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again. And we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.